Starkfighter podcast, serious progress in the fight against sarcoidosis. We just had a FDA patient listening session on pulmonary sarcoidosis, and it was so exciting to see 50 people from the FDA uh, on the uh, patient listening session uh, session. In this very special edition of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, I'm joined by FSR Board Chair Louise Perkins and FSR Chief Executive Officer Mary McGowan. They'll share all the progress that's been made, where we are now, and where we're going, and how you can be a part of it all. Looking into 2023, I would I'm very excited to see a further expansion of our research program that will allow us to fund more and more diverse ideas in the scientific community that will continue to lay the groundwork for greater discoveries. We're digging into it next on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. This is the Sark Fighter podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hi, and welcome to episode 75 of the FSR Sarkfighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin, and today's podcast is brought to you in part by Kinevent Sciences. Kinevent Sciences is researching a potential new drug for sarcoidosis called nemilumab, and it inhibits one of the key proteins believed to be responsible for granuloma formation and persistence in sarcoidosis. If you want to know more about it, go back and listen in episode 69, just a few episodes ago of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, where Kind Event CEO Bill Gerhardt and Director of Patient Advocacy Rainey Rogers talked about the status of nemilumab and how you, as a sarcoidosis patient, can participate now in the Phase two clinical trial called Resolve Lung. For more information about Resolve Lung and the clinical trial, you can visit www.sarcodosistrial.com, and I'll also have a quick link for you in the show notes. Of course, you know that I do the podcast to offer fellow Sark fighters hope and to help you connect with other Sark patients, to hear their stories, to understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives, and we'll be talking a lot about that today. Hopefully, all of this helps you understand what you're up against, what you need to overcome, whether it's the disease, whether it's the side effects from the medicine or both, and really, beyond all of that, helps you feel like a part of the greater sarcoidosis community because you should know that that community exists, that it is it is growing, but it's also more tightly knit than it has ever been, ever been thanks to, uh, in part, social media, but I would say uh, in part because of FSR and because of its efforts, and there's just really an effort right now, I guess, and I guess this, I feel okay saying this podcast is a part of it, an effort to make all of us feel like we are a part of a community that is greater than the sum of its parts, if you will. And today I'm going to offer you a double dose of hope because joining me on the podcast 
really are the two people who are arguably the most important people in the entire fight against sarcoidosis. They are, if you will, the, the tip of the spear, the, the leaders of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and that includes the chief executive officer, the CEO, Mary McGowan, and the board chair, Dr. Louise Perkins. And they are the ones who really are tasked with guiding the organization that is now leading to all kinds of new research and all kinds of new discoveries and new volunteer opportunities. And it's, you know, and FSR works on, on multiple fronts, the two biggest being let's get more research done for drugs, and the other being let's make sure that we reach out to patients and create that sense of community that I was talking about. But let's make sure that the, the patients who are out there suffering with sarcoidosis know that they are supported. So together, Mary and Louise, uh, as they will tell you, with lots of help from volunteers and staff in the medical community at large, um, they have really moved the needle in the past couple of years in terms of the fight against SARC. They have really turned it up. So now there are more drugs in various stages of development to fight SARC than ever before. And now thanks to this new global clinical alliance, there are more researchers who are, instead of working in silos and in their individual labs, they're working in tandem all across the country and helping each other more than ever before. And they've opened up channels of communication and it's just, it's better than it's ever been and it's still going to get better than it is. And all of this is resulting in huge advancements. And it doesn't happen without all of us in the sarcoidosis community, wherever we are, doing our part as volunteers, as donors, sharing our stories, keeping uh, sarcoidosis visible. And we'll talk about that a lot today uh, by sharing our stories and by just making sure that the world around us knows what sarcoidosis is, that it exists, what it's about, and keeping it visible. So I'll be sharing my snowflake story, and if you don't know why we call it a snowflake story, and if you don't know why we call it a snowflake story, you will, and you probably do if you've, if you've been around much, but, uh, but we'll talk about that. And then Mary and Louise also have touching stories about why they're also in the sarcoidosis space that they'll be sharing. And then beyond that, uh, I will be giving you a couple other stories from patients who, like you, have their own unique experiences with sarcoidosis. So this is a big episode of the FSR Psych Fighter podcast, and we'll be back with more of that right after a very quick break. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, and I am very excited today to talk about 
uh, this uh, Make It Visible campaign, uh, which is so important. Those of us with sarcoidosis know that there's oftentimes nobody else we know who has sarcoidosis. And sometimes it's difficult to find a doctor near you who treats sarcoidosis or has any experience with sarcoidosis. And when you tell people you have sarcoidosis, they say, what, what do you have? What? I've never heard of that. And so FSR has been working on that with something called the make it visible campaign and the hashtag hashtag make it visible all one word. And this is so important as we go through the final quarter here of of 2022. We want to keep this in front of people. We want to make sure that sarcoidosis is top of mind wherever it needs to be top of mind and and even beyond those uh, parameters, if you will. And and one of the things that I can tell you is is that FSR um, celebrated Sarcoidosis Awareness Month back in April, as it always does with uh, a program to raise awareness and that was the that was the make it visible campaign so this has been going on through a good part of 2022 and for the reasons that I talked about because people who've got sarcoidosis or they feel unheard uh, they feel misunderstood uh, I can speak to that from personal experience and and you know sometimes folks can't even get out of their homes because the situation is so bad and and they feel forgotten they feel invisible so FSR uh, felt it was time to change that. And so that was when they launched the Make It Visible hashtag. And I can tell you right now, thus far, and there's no end in sight, the Make It Visible message has reached with social media and the podcast and, and websites and you name it, it has reached over 600,000 people worldwide. So now what's next? Well, you want to build on on what's happened already. And FSR has designed a program to further raise awareness and to highlight the unique experiences that each member uh, of the community has through their efforts in stopping SARC. And it's stopping sarcoidosis one snowflake at a time. And I'm going to get back to that term snowflake here in just a second. But from now until the end of the year, FSR will be sharing hashtag snowflake stories, which are the messages that community members have shared that make their sarcoidosis journey unique and what they are hopeful for about the future. And if you've been around sarcoidosis for a little bit, you probably know that it's called the snowflake disease because no two snowflakes are the same, and sarcoidosis affects every single patient differently. I have yet to find anybody who has even a remote experience, remotely similar experience to, to what I've had. And that's what I hear here on the podcast all the time. And so that's one of the reasons we we love to have patients come on and 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 talk about what's happened in their life and how sarcoidosis has affected their body. And it affects everybody differently. And, and that is uh, somewhat unique within the uh, sarcoidosis uh, community. Uh, other diseases tend to have a, a more um, linear effect on the people that, that they attack. But with, with sarcoidosis, it's different for everybody. Ergo, ipso facto, we have the the snowflake disease, and so um, 
way back when, and if you want to go back and listen to my whole poor story, uh, you can listen to episode one, and I I I shared my story. Uh, but but very briefly, my snowflake story is that uh, going back to 2016, 2017, I suddenly felt like I had my socks balled up in my shoes. And I took my shoes off. I was at work. I was at my desk at the at a TV station. I got my shoes off and I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong. But my feet felt like there was something going on. Well, eventually numbness and that sensation started creeping up my legs. So I went to any uh, number of doctors. I wound up with a neurologist and they started doing MRIs. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Uh, I was misdiagnosed for over a year. Uh, and then eventually... Uh, they found a lesion on my spinal cord, which uh, is right at the base of my neck, and they thought that it was a tumor. And I was told that they need to go in and do a biopsy on that tumor, which means opening up all the way down to my spinal cord and actually touching my spinal cord, which if you know anything about your nervous system, you know that's bad. Uh and they they did a biopsy. They grabbed what they thought was going to be a tumor, but when they got there, it was a non-caseating granuloma, uh, which translates essentially to sarcoidosis. And uh, as a result of that surgery, uh, there was a bit of damage uh, in my spinal cord. And so now I have uh, a great deal of numbness and tingling in in the lower part of my body, essentially from my chest down. And I've lost uh, a great deal of mobility um, to the point where uh, it's awkward, uh, if not impossible for me. I can walk, but I, I can't run. And I used to be a marathon runner. So there's my snowflake story, right? I mean, you, you, you know, you go from being a, a runner at, a, you know, a relatively high level uh, to I can't run across the yard. I can't chase my, uh, you know, my grandkids. Uh, the the mailman forgot to pick up some letters that I had in the in the mailbox the other day. And so I grabbed the letters. I saw him circling the cul-de-sac in front of my house and tried to run after him with the letters over my head saying, no, wait, no, wait. And I took about two steps and realized, oh, you know, I forgot. I can't, I can't do this anymore. So that's what happened to me. And, and now I've, I've gone through, I've had some flares and things have gotten worse and I won't get into the whole story with you, but, um, Sarcoidosis is very present in my life, and uh, it's something that um, that I can never be very far away from. Uh, luckily, I've I've uh, I drive seven hours to get treatment at the Cleveland Clinic from my home. Uh, but my doctors there have me on a protocol that is working, and so uh, even though sarcoidosis is there for me, it is now under control. But uh, the damage that's been done will will never be repaired. So that's my snowflake story. Okay. Uh, and I hope, I hope, uh, that, uh, it will be sharing some others. I hope I didn't bore you with that. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's my deal and it's very real to me and your snowflake story is very real to you. And having said that, it's my pleasure at this time to introduce today's guests who are going to take this 
a little bit further. And um, these are not any old guests, people. I have with me the FSR board president, Dr. Louise Perkins, and we also have the CEO of FSR, Mary McGowan, and they are joining me here on the FSR podcast today. Welcome, ladies. Hi, John. Hi, John. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your snowflake story. I hope I didn't talk too long. No, of course not. It's so inspirational, and we appreciate uh, you sharing it with the audience today. Well, you guys have snowflake stories, too. And I want to start with... um, with with Dr. Perkins, Louise, you uh, are the board chair. You are a medical researcher, but um, you sort of came into the FSR uh, arena through your husband. You want to tell us what happened and, and give us your backstory and, and tell us a little bit about you? Sure thing. Um, so my, my professional background is in um, finding new drugs for cancer. I was doing that in industry. Um, over my whole career for um, 16 years at two different pharmaceutical companies and eventually moved into doing something similar for nonprofits. Um, During that time um, was when my husband first developed his symptoms and then was um, ultimately diagnosed with sarcoidosis. So uh, his name is Jeff, by the way, he does have a name. Um, (laughs) And um, he, he and, and I were very active, but he uh, more so, he um, ran marathons and triathlons. And in 2000, he uh, was on a trip to hike Mount Katahdin, you know, one of the biggest mountains um, in the Northeast. And uh, it was a winter trip, but he, he really had some issues with his breathing on that trip. And um, there was someone on the trip who said, oh, you know, I think he might have exercise-induced asthma. So we went to our doctor who said, that sounds right, and treated him for exercise-induced asthma. And um, a year later, which um, was at the time of the anthrax attacks, he developed pneumonia-like symptoms. And basically, we wound up in the ER, and he wound up a couple of days in the hospital with pneumonia. Two years after that, though, we were off to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. No problem. Um, hmm. uh, you know, what is that? 19,000 feet. We didn't have any issues whatsoever up there. But um, two years after that, he was on another trip to Ecuador t- to climb and he just couldn't do it. He, he basically had a nice time in the hut in the mountains and then came home. And it was kind of that trip that crystallized for us that something wasn't this wasn't exercise induced asthma. He wasn't really responding to the treatment. And um, our, uh, our doctor did a chest x-ray and said, you know, I had looked at your, your chest x-ray before and saw these enlarged lymph nodes, but you're not black. So I didn't think sarcoidosis was a possibility, but he did have a a biopsy done and the diagnosis did come back as sarcoidosis in 2006 and in 2007, we saw a SARC expert. And I remember the trip coming away from the doctor where the doctor was basically saying, you're, you know, this, you're going to have this the rest of your life. You're, you know, you're going to be curtailed as an athlete for the rest of your life. And it was, it was like getting a cancer diagnosis. It was a very, very depressing day for us. 
Um, round about that time, I joined my first nonprofit, the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, and um, that was where my eyes were opened as to the power of nonprofits to change things for patients um, individually and collectively. And so that through that experience is how I came to FSR. And so you you kind of looked around and said, well, I'm a, I'm a medical researcher. I'm working for pharmaceutical companies. You are in the multiple myeloma space. And your husband has sarcoidosis now. And sort of a, a light bulb went off and you said, if I'm going to be helping somebody, it should be sarcoidosis folks. And you Correct. found FSR, right? So, so how did you get from where you were to, to FSR? At the time um, when I was at FSR, um, excuse me, at, at the Multiple Myeloma Research Foundation, the MMRF, we um, had a number of events and uh, I had an opportunity to meet um, quite a few people who were um, patients or caregivers for that disease. One of them um, turned out to be uh, the sister of a patient who um, was connected to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Through my own background in the nonprofit world, I had discovered the FSR, but I didn't, you know, apart from, you know, learning about the disease and that sort of thing, I didn't engage directly. But by uh, in conversations with that person, I it occurred to me that perhaps my background as chief science officer at this nonprofit might be helpful and applicable on the board for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis. And she agreed, she in introduced me to the, the founders. And, and that was the time that uh, then I, I joined the FSR board in 2015. And what I found in, that was so intriguing to me about FSR was the range of programs that the organization had, not only to educate and support patients, but also a research program and, and, and a lot of possibilities for the future that I really felt were intriguing and were going to benefit um, many, many people, possibly including my husband. Yeah. So 2015, and that was along about the time that I was having my first symptoms. And I just know from, from having been involved uh, for a while now, and then talking to people, there was not going, there was not a lot going on with, with research for sarcoidosis in 2015, was there? No, it's, I mean, it's research is a, is a funny thing. It, it can, it can stagnate for a long time. And I think that's where we were back then compared to now, right? Compared to now, it is a completely different ballgame being fueled by several sources. Um, first of all, there are amazing findings being made in the general area of understanding our body's immune system which clearly plays a huge part in the development of sarcoidosis because it just plain goes awry. It just doesn't work like it's supposed to. Um, but what's being discovered in other areas in cancer, for example, and cancer treatment, for example, with immunotherapies, where some of those immunotherapies bring on sarcoidosis-like symptoms in patients, this is all going to coalesce to a future understanding of other areas to intervene to treat SARC. But there are other many other prospects um, that are um, that are opening up doors, like the development of animal models, such as um, the FSR has funded, and other areas of research. And, and what I see happening now 
is a continued payoff of targeted investments by FSR and by other funders like the NIH that will catalyze further, further discoveries in the field. And uh, just, it's like a landslide. Um, you get a couple, a couple pebbles that start things going and you get real payoff for, for people. So how is the board working to sort of be the catalyst to keep that going or, or even make it bigger? What, what are you and the members of the board doing now to, to really just, just make all of this take off? I have to say FSR's board of directors, and this is going to sound self-serving, but they are amazing. And I've, I've worked with a couple of different nonprofit boards in, in my career. And, and this particular board is so committed. They have such uh, diverse and applicable backgrounds. Many of them are patients or caregivers. Um, many of them have direct experience in the research, the, the medical research space, rare disease space, pharmaceuticals. So it's really, it's a, it's a very engaged and informed board of directors for this. And um, we have been focusing on empowering the staff and working with the staff to develop a strategic plan that will guide FSR's activities to the future to have maximum impact on the field. And what is the field? The field is um, support and education for patients, building the community of clinicians and other medical caregivers, as well as patients, and uh, also building the research. I have to say, it's a, it can be a challenge for a nonprofit to pursue both research and patient support with um, equal vigor. Um, but I think we're managing that, and I think it's very exciting and an important thing for us to do, and the board would agree. Well, yeah, like, as I said, and as I've heard so many times now on the podcast, uh, people just feel isolated and alone. And that patient support is so critical. And if it doesn't come from FSR, it's not going to come from anywhere. It's not like there's 10 other organizations out there trying to work on sarcoidosis. Correct. Correct. And, and the patient support is, is absolutely paramount and new programming that, that Mary will talk about, um, I think is, is really amazing in that area. Uh, as a researcher, I have a sweet, uh, soft spot in my heart for the research program because it supports patients in different ways. It provides hope for the future and progress for the future. So it's, it's a little bit like the kindling that keeps the fire going uh, for everyone and um, and I think it's a it's a it's a huge set of programs that we have going on that are really well integrated and being led um, um, great in a, in a great way by Mary and her team. And I want to bring Mary in right now. So uh, Mary McGowan, welcome to the podcast. You are our CEO and you have done amazing things in the relatively short amount of time that you've been leading FSR. Uh Welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank you, John. Honored to be here. And you have a snowflake story that you'd like to share. Do you want to start with that? Certainly. Uh, I, I spent a month in Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer uh, Center when I was just five years old. Um, they initially believed that I had cancer, uh, but I was one of the very fortunate children there who did not. 
Throughout my childhood, I returned regularly to the outpatient cancer center as all my doctors were there. So I grew up with a lot of illness and deformity around me. And immediately after receiving my graduate degree, I reached out to the American Academy of Pediatrics to speak up for our nation's children because I wanted to give back to my good fortune. And after 18 years of service with the Academy, I then moved on to serve as CEO in the respiratory space, as well as in women's cardiovascular space, uh, as heart disease is the leading cause of death of women. Uh, and these were large chronic disease spaces. But as my career continued on, I was interested in taking what I had learned from these large chronic disease spaces and apply it to the rare disease community. I am so honored to be the CEO of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. The rare disease community is such a collaborative and inspirational community, and FSR is really an extraordinary international organization with, as uh, Louise was referring to, just extraordinary le leadership and an extraordinary team working steadfastly to educate, support, and empower patients, to support clinicians, to elevate sarcoidosis research, and the many other things that the organization is involved in. So so you've been here for... Um... I, approximately two years, right? Correct. Uh, Correct. Okay. And so now you've been in the SART community, you've been immersed with all of us. What are you, um, what's the, what's the impact of the community been on you? The impact is really around the strength, the passion and determination of the community, which has inspired me to be a more fearless leader and identify new creative ways to develop solutions to move research forward and provide support to those impacted by this disease. Um, the team is just completely inspired to work to address the unmet needs of the community uh, through working with industry, the FDA, the NIH, uh, to deliver more treatment options and access to care. Um, and as a matter of fact, as you may know, we just opened up a Washington DC office last month and we're so excited uh, to continue to fight for these unmet needs uh, at the uh, federal uh, level and working with our federal agencies and, and Capitol Hill. And all of that is, a, a, oh, I wanted to say a direct route, maybe it's an indirect route, but we're looking for funding up there, right? But let let these folks who correct we're working with uh, NIH uh advocating for more uh funding towards uh, sarcoidosis uh and we're working with FDA as well uh for in terms of you know really trying to elevate the research and bring an understanding of the patient's needs we in April we just had a FDA patient listening session on pulmonary sarcoidosis and it was so exciting to see 50 people from the FDA uh, on the uh, patient listening session, uh, session, uh, hearing uh, six patients and their stories, one care partner and 
Dr. Lisa Meyer, uh, who is an esteemed member of our scientific advisory board, who provided the science and, and uh, research aspect of sarcoidosis. And since then, we see uh, FDA, we also see NIH uh, engaging in our educational programmatic activities uh, through registering for our events. So this is very uh, inspiring, and there's tremendous interest now in sarcoidosis. That's that's fantastic because as an orphan disease, which is uh, – I'm not sure where you draw the line, but we have roughly 200,000 people who have this in the United States. Um, as an orphan disease, and there are hundreds of other orphan diseases, we're all struggling to have our voice heard. And, and I'm sure that those who suffer from some other type of orphan disease are frustrated. Um, but we're breaking through, right? I mean, we, we, if you've got that many people talking to the FDA and that many people in the FDA have heard the word sarcoidosis and know that we have this outstanding organization advocating for the disease, it's got to make a huge difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. We absolutely see that. And John, the other indicator is that just last year, there was one clinical trial in the sarcoidosis space. We now have 10 uh, active moving forward clinical trials. So I think this, to your point, uh, speaks volumes about the interest in sarcoidosis, the movement in sarcoidosis, and we really want to continue with this extraordinary momentum uh, because these are very exciting times uh, in this rare disease community that I am confident is going to lead to extraordinary outcomes leading to better therapies, uh, a better understanding about sarcoidosis, and uh, eventually a cure. Well, I tell you, those are uh, pr pretty big goals, Mary. <laughs> Louise, do you think you think we can accomplish all of that? I certainly think that we can move towards better care. I a hundred percent believe that. I think cure is something we should always keep in sight. Ultimately, I hope we can get there. I can I can tell you from from my husband's perspective, um, he wants a cure. He does not want to be saddled with the slowdown in his life, in his life and in his abilities. He wants a cure. And I think most patients do. They would mm -hmm. like to be able to run after the postman. Um, they don't want to be limited by, by this disease. So more care, better care, better options, more people getting diagnosed with sarcoidosis who ought to be. These are all important things to do. And let's let the research take hold and take um, take the lead to get there, to working towards a cure. Well, having 10 clinical trials in the field right now, I think is, is amazing. Uh, Mary, I want to go back because you have had um, so many accomplishments just in the brief time that you've been with FSR. Uh, can you talk briefly about this global sarcoidosis clinical alliance that you've been able to establish? Yes. So this past April, FSR launched the Global Sarcoidosis Clinic Alliance, which is a membership program uh, consisting of clinics, hospitals, and also individual providers committed to finding a cure and offering evidence-based uh, patient-centric care for those living with sarcoidosis. And we believe this program 
will have a profound impact on all of those in the sarcoidosis community. Uh, the whole basis around this is to ensure that sarcoidosis patients in every community have access to information, uh, as well as education, clinical trials, and patient support services in their community. Uh, it's also to identify and acknowledge and support clinicians through networking opportunities and forums that enable learning and sharing and advancements in finding a cure uh, and in the continuity of care, and as well to accelerate research through uh, FSR's global assets. You know, John, you were talking earlier about uh, patients, you know, feeling very isolated with this disease. And it's been so interesting as we've been presenting to sarcoidosis clinics and hospitals throughout the nation since April, uh, it's interesting to hear the clinicians about their feelings as well of feeling uh, isolated in the work that they're doing at these institutions with sarcoidosis being such a rare disease. So they now are very interested in the Alliance uh, it, with a tremendous collaborative spirit to work with other uh, physicians across the globe, but for now across the nation uh, through this program. And again, we believe that through these efforts uh, that this is going to lead, you know, really to extraordinary things as we are now all working collectively together through a much more structured partnership uh, in the fight against uh, sarcoidosis through this Global Sarcoidosis Clinic Alliance. So, so the doctor who may have been working in his or her lab in Boston is now talking to the researcher in Los Angeles or Cleveland or Houston um, or Albany, New York. They're, they're, because of the alliance, they are speaking with each other more easily, and it happens more often, and therefore the research is, is advancing more quickly. Is that a, a safe way to connect the dots? Yes, that's absolutely correct. We've actually created seven leadership committees, and uh, we have 100%, 100% participation from the Clinic Alliance members to join one of these leadership committees. Uh, these leadership committees are going to be working very closely with FSR leadership uh, in the development of many clinical engagement uh, educational sessions. So as an example, uh, we are launching a sarcoidosis journal club. We are launching peer review sessions for these clinicians to come together to talk about tough cases within their institution and get input from other leaders, from other institutions from across the globe. Uh, we are creating and have actually produced already two clinic uh, engagement series sessions where uh, we hear from them on what is top of mind for these doctors that they would like to hear about from their other colleagues. So the first session was on COVID and sarcoidosis, which again, they chose that topic. Mm -hmm. And the second one was just a couple of weeks ago on pulmonary uh, sarcoidosis. 
So these kinds of uh, programs, which now, by the way, we are fortunate enough through one of our Clinic Alliance members who's now working with us to provide CME, continuing medical education credits for uh, uh, physicians who participate in these events. Uh, this is just leading to extraordinary outcomes. And uh, they are really networking with one another. We're introducing many of them that they have never met before. Uh, and they're sharing the extraordinary uh, work and unique uh, uh, real leadership uh, that they have at these different institutions uh, working in different spaces. Well, all of that is is fantastic. And and, and none of this was happening <laughs> way back in in 2015. So I think it's all all great. But I I I, I, I really want you guys now to lean in a little bit on, on a topic that we've talked about a lot here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. And we're talking with Mary McGowan, who is the CEO, and Louise Perkins, who's the board chair for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. But the Black and African-American communities uh, are most likely to suffer from sarcoidosis and least likely to, for various reasons, seek or receive, even if they seek, effective treatment for FSR, uh, for, for sarcoidosis. And FSR has been doing a lot to change that. Can we talk about that just briefly as we as we look at one of the other ways that the foundation has become more and more effective? Louise, you want to start with that? Or Mary, I, I don't care, wherever you want, whoever wants to start. But this Mary, is, you want me to lead off big. and I'll turn it over to you? Certainly. Yeah, I, I think it's sarcoidosis for as... Um, niche of a disease as it is presents huge problems for particular populations such as the black American population um, with two and a half times higher the rate of diagnosis of um, rate of incidence, I should say, of sarcoidosis compared to white Americans and worse outcomes as you highlighted, John. And for a long time, frankly, the FSR just didn't have the infrastructure to be able to apply resources to try to overcome this problem and to make people get better care better who ought, who, may, who comprise a huge part of our patient population. With, uh, through Mary's leadership and by bringing in excellent resources, we have been able to take steps towards that. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hugely proud of the organization for its work in this area. Um, initially with Make it visible, ignore no more, and the, now the Act Now campaign. So I want to turn it over to Mary to speak to all of these things, which I, I truly believe have had and will continue to have major impacts that will benefit not only Black Americans, but also all Americans who are being underdiagnosed with sarcoidosis. Thank you, Louise. And yeah, John, this is just such critically important work. Uh, when I joined FSR and obviously doing a lot of research about sarcoidosis, it kept coming to the forefront that uh, women of color had the highest prevalence and by far the worst outcomes. And so really wanted to work with the team to do something about this. So we launched the Ignore No More campaign. This was a five-month campaign we launched last October, and it ended in February of this year. Um, and it just was incredible, the, the success of this campaign, reaching over 600,000 people. 
Um, and the whole uh, uh, point of this campaign was to ra raise awareness uh, within the African-American women community, but also within the clinician community, because it's important that doctors are aware of this uh, as well. Uh, during the campaign, uh, there was an African-American woman actress, uh, Gerald Prescott Galen of AMC's Walking Dead, um, who wanted to join the campaign and become the celebrity spokesperson on this campaign. She created a fantastic video uh, and the whole campaign led to a collaboration with 23 campaign partners, uh, many media. We had five live TV interviews, uh, podcasts, 14 written articles and being asked to speak at 14 international conferences uh, about this topic specifically. And so it's critically important uh, that we continue this work. So we just launched phase two of Ignore No More. It's called ACT Now, which stands for Advanced Clinical Trials Equity in Sarcoidosis. Uh, the whole point of this is to convene patients and clinicians and research and other stakeholders to engage uh, in an initiative to address racial health disparities by increasing representation of black sarcoidosis patients in clinical trials. We all know this, that, that uh, again, with the prevalence of the disease, we need to have higher representation from the Black community. So the first initiative of this campaign uh, includes the launch of our patient survey, uh, which we uh, produced a press release on uh, and sent out nationally. Um, the, the survey is currently open. We are encouraging all Black sarcoidosis patients uh, the opportunity to have a voice, to share their experiences, so we may learn more about the, um, you know, the factors and experiences driving behaviors and attitudes and decision making uh, around uh, healthcare and clinical trials participation. Um, and this survey is currently open through November 30th. Uh, and uh, we are looking to hear from the Black community um, who want to share their experiences so that we can get a better understanding and really be more effective at the national level to invite the Black community to partake in sarcoidosis clinical trials. So again, I we really view this as just extraordinary uh, work, critically important in uh, a better understanding uh, of sarcoidosis. Uh, and because as Louise said, uh, we know that if, if, if we can get a better understanding from those who have the highest prevalence and the worst outcomes, that that will really help us uh, for all communities living with uh, sarcoidosis uh, as we look towards uh, finding a cure and better therapies. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and as we've covered on the podcast uh, multiple times now, it it's it's so difficult and a lot of times it's it comes back to the physician knowing that the patient across from them who is is a black american the the physician has to know to recruit that person and not just ignore them uh and or or assume that for whatever reason they won't participate or can't can't participate and they and they never get asked to participate and and we've got to change that fundamental way that that this is looked at don't we 
Yes, we absolutely do. It's critically important. And we feel strongly, you know, the way that we approach our work at FSR, John, is we, we of course, are focused on sarcoidosis and want to do uh, everything uh, every day that we can to move the needle forward uh, for sarcoidosis patients, for clinicians, as I said. But the approach that we take to our work at FSR is also to be the leader in the rare disease space. And we're hoping uh, by this work uh, and by the participation with the Black community in this effort, uh, that we will not only be able to help elevate uh, research for sarcoidosis, but for uh, all research for chronic diseases, uh, who will then, we will gain a better understanding, again, as I said earlier, about how to invite the Black community to participate more uh, in research uh, for all chronic diseases. All right. Louise, you agree with all of that? I, I completely agree. I, I want to amplify the point that um, having um, Black Americans participate in clinical research and these clinical studies of new treatments is, is not just a social movement. It's, uh, it's an important movement to be able to understand which treatments work best in which populations. Mm -hmm. And there's real science behind, behind this and, and real enthusiasm by um, FDA, for example, to be able to address this gap that's been present for far too long. And then in terms of um, being able to, to drive progress, what we learn in the area of sarcoidosis is going to drive progress for other diseases, for other diseases whether it's um, rare diseases or not. You know, it takes a village. And what I have seen with FSR's activities uh, by bringing in the Global Clinic Alliance and the activities on Ignore No More and Act Now is building a community beyond the typical communities of academic researchers and caregivers and patients, corporate partners, government authorities, but also to include um, the, these clinics that are on the front lines of seeing patients and that, that really need to be part of the conversation too. Outstanding. Well, let's um, let's move on a little bit here. We've we've talked about snowflake stories. We've talked about uh, the successes with FSR and and this alliance of these medical centers all over. Uh, Mary, I'm going to say the United States, but we've got these, these. This alliance includes facilities that are outside the United States as well, does it not? We're working on that, John. Uh, this is okay. a global uh, sarcoidosis clinic alliance. And yes. yes, we're very excited about bringing in global partners. Our first phase of this was uh, to uh, present this uh, at the national clinic level. Uh, but we are now uh, underway with discussions with global clinics. And we're so excited uh, for that next phase. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure that that will happen based upon the, all the success I've seen so far. But we've but let's talk about getting the community at large involved, Louise. How do we get folks as we go forward? I know that I know that uh, this is the time of year where we want to keep our efforts. Uh, in front of people, this is the time of year when people sort of look at their finances and say, you know, I want to give to my favorite organizations and um, we need to keep sarcoidosis front and center in, in the fourth quarter of 2022, don't we? We, we absolutely do. Um, I, and I think that people really, through the efforts of FSR and the communications that have come out from Mary and the team should have a good background to appreciate that 
this is an organization that deserves support. So I would encourage folks to share their Snowflake story. Stories are so incredibly powerful. We've been telling stories around fires since people first came around. So these stories are incredibly powerful. And to get your friends, your family to help join in the fight, to support research, to support efforts, to have more patients, uh, get better information and get better diagnoses more quickly. Um, it's going to be an exciting time as we move towards the end of the year. And, you know, I, I can't think of a better organization than FSR for people to support. Yeah. Mary, Giving Tuesday's coming up. That's that's a day when uh, a lot of organizations receive a lot of money. And I know that FSR would, would like to be on the receiving end of people's generosity would you uh, would you want to say anything about Giving Tuesday? Thank you, John, for that opportunity. Yes, Giving Tuesday is a big day for FSR. We would like to invite the whole community to consider supporting FSR on Giving Tuesday, which is Tuesday, November 29th, uh, to ensure that we can continue meeting the needs of those in our community and continue on this momentum uh, in sarcoidosis. So we plan to be taking over social media on that day, um, and I'm also very excited to share that already uh, one of our generous donors will be matching gifts up to $10,000. So every gift made up to $10,000 will be doubled, which means that more research and patient support programs will be possible through the generous uh, donations of our community. And additionally, throughout the holiday season, we'll be sharing community member snowflake stories and encouraging the community to share their own snowflake story, as Louise said, to raise awareness and fuel the momentum from the extraordinary uh, accomplishments from this year. So uh, a big uh, thank you in advance to the community, to uh, their generous donations, and to participating in this very important day of Giving Tuesday. Yeah, well, that's the $10,000 match. That's amazing. So if I were to give $100 or $500, that would be doubled if I if I give it on Giving Tuesday? That's correct. And so for anyone who has been thinking about giving this year to uh, FSR, you can double your impact uh, by simply giving on that day to have your personal donation doubled. So again, having the double impact of donating to FSR. So this is just very generous of this uh, individual uh, who is working with FSR to encourage others uh, to donate to this extraordinary organization on Giving Tuesday. So we get we get that money and we get all the other money that you've been able to uh, uh, accumulate because of all these connections that we now have in Washington, D.C. that we didn't have before. And we go forward and all of a sudden it's 2023, Louise. So what's what's next? What are we looking forward to? What can people anticipate in terms of uh, uh, research as as we move forward? Well, I'm I'm really proud that this year we had our first cardiac sarcoidosis grants um, funded, and I think we have had a, a tremendous impact through our fellowship program. Just if you look at the publications in um, prestigious journals, and for people who don't aren't in the business. A journal is basically a magazine for scientists, and mm -hmm. that's where you communicate your research findings. These, the, the outcomes from these research investments that we've made over time will continue to accrue. 
looking into 2023, I would I'm very excited to see a further expansion of our research program that will allow us to fund more and more diverse ideas in the scientific community that will continue to lay the groundwork for greater discoveries. Um, as I, I also think about other aspects of FSR's programming, the Act Now campaign, working with FDA to um, hopefully make it more efficient to get drugs approved, and of course, working with our corporate partners who are critical, critical partners in the business of bringing new drugs ahead. There's nothing that ever reaches the market that I can think of that really does so quickly without the activities of these corporate partners. And they've been great. And we're seeing more and more activity there. So I think it's really, um, uh, it behooves us and it behooves all of our patients to support all of this research and to, to make things happen more quickly. Yeah, one of the things that I've learned uh, since I've been involved with FSR and, and I've talked with, um, in particular, uh, a fair amount of the folks at Kind Event and ATIRE, uh, who are who are two of the 10 people that Mary talked about doing clinical trials, uh, I know that it's a big risk for investors to put their money behind a drug that may go through years and years of testing and fail. And, and so this, I don't want to call it a crapshoot because it's, it's, it's better than a crapshoot, but um, it takes hundreds of millions of dollars to take an idea and push it through the whole system of research and then testing and then three rounds of clinical trials to find out if it's safe and to find out if it works and to find out where it works and all those different things. Um, and so it, it is not easy to get all of this done. And you got to have somebody pushing it as I, I've used the word catalyst already, but that's that's what FSR is. And so, so Mary, we've got momentum right now how are we going to take this momentum and move it forward in 2023 and beyond? We do have momentum, John. And as you said, it is amazing these pharmaceutical companies who are willing to spend millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on sarcoidosis research. And having said that, that's why it's so critically important for sarcoidosis patients to engage uh, in uh, these clinical trials uh, so that we can work collaboratively to continue to build upon this moment, this time, this momentum uh, that is really, uh, I believe, with the spotlight now on sarcoidosis. Uh, additionally, we're looking at new and innovative ways to utilize big data to move research forward uh, and in support of the patient advocacy work that we're doing. So, so uh, with a new partnership uh, that we now have with Komodo Health, uh, we are able to learn more about the patient journey to diagnosis and treatment as an example. Uh, and these efforts uh, will uh, help us learn more uh, to help lead to faster and more accurate diagnoses. Uh, and so we are uh, a pioneer in the big data space, and it is paving the way for more diseases to follow this path to make a difference in the lives of millions of people living with chronic and rare disease. So more to follow on that. But these are very exciting times with opportunity to look at this big data and learn tremendous 
biggest things from the big data in the sarcoidosis uh, community. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think this is, I think this is all great stuff as as we move forward. Uh, just we we have to remember that FSR doesn't just magically happen. Uh, there's a lot of volunteer efforts, but we have to make sure that we have the the money in our coffers to ensure that uh, that all the good work just keeps going and that that we can put the money behind the projects we identify as being worthy. We have just an outstanding and committed staff. Uh, you know, I say we. I'm a volunteer, but um, Louise, you 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 work with these people every day, and and I'm just amazed at how much gets done every day, no matter which touch point I have with FSR. It's it's uh, absolutely true, John. We just had a an FSR board of directors meeting, and and those were exactly the comments. It can, continues to be amazing how much the the staff gets done, and it is a small staff. Um, so I, I we're very very proud of Mary and the whole team. Well, and John, you are, yes. you are an extraordinary uh, leader and volunteer. Uh, we are so uh, honored. Uh, to have you in the sarcoidosis community doing this extraordinary work that you're doing every day. And I want to take this opportunity, if I may, to invite other uh, patients and care partners out there who want a uh, volunteer leadership position uh, to apply to be a support group leader or a community outreach leader as part of this new Global Sarcoidosis Clinic Alliance. So listeners can find out more information about how to be one of these leaders on uh, FSR's website. Uh, but this is a, a wonderful opportunity to be part of this global alliance, uh, to work with other patients in the local community that's going to be leading to extraordinary things. We're going to be doing a, a virtual training in February, bringing all these leaders together. Uh, and then the following year, we plan to bring everybody together in person. So if there are any listeners to this program or you know of a patient or a care partner, who is interested in becoming more engaged with FSR uh, through volunteer activities, please uh, go to the stopsarcidosis.org website, learn more about this unique opportunity. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, that was actually, that was one of the things I had meant to ask you about when we talked about the Global Alliance, but every Every one of these clinics that's in the alliance, you're looking for a group of volunteers to sort of join in at at each of those facilities, and so you need a lot of a lot of volunteers, don't you? We do. We're looking for four volunteers at each institution, and we now we have a uh, 38 founding members, and that that came about just in seven months, John. Mm. Amazing to think 38 institutions joined the organization in this extraordinary effort. So yes, we are looking for four volunteers. Two will work together to run monthly support group meetings for other patients at those facilities. And the other two patients will be doing community education. So they have an opportunity to share their stories in the community, uh, to do some fundraising events uh, at the local level, uh, and to work 
with the media. You know, Sarcoidosis Awareness Month is coming up in April. Uh, so these volunteers will have the opportunity to work with the media to raise awareness uh, at the, the local as well as the national level. So these are extraordinary volunteer opportunities. And uh, we're so excited and thrilled for those who have already uh, signed up to participate in this unique program. Well, is there, are there any last thoughts that either of you would like to share before we close out today? Just my thanks, John. Uh, and John, thank you to you. Um, and as we come together for holiday celebrations, hard to believe the end of year is so, so quickly approaching, but I would really, we would both like to really extend our most sincere gratitude for those who have been a part of this movement uh, that we see moving so quickly now, and as well as recognize all those who are working diligently every day to improve the lives of those impacted by sarcoidosis. Uh, our physicians, our clinics, our industry partners, our federal agencies, our patients and volunteers, the entire community coming together uh, all in the fight against sarcoidosis, working collaboratively. And we are most confident that this will result in what we are all looking for uh, to continue to build upon this momentum and uh, so that, that our nation and quite frankly, the world can do a better job of supporting those living with sarcoidosis and again, uh, developing better therapies and the opportunity to, uh, to finance uh, more research. So uh, again, a big thank you to everybody in the community and a hop happy holiday season. Great. Mary McGowan, CEO, Louise Perkins, the board chair for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. On behalf of all of the rest of us, thank you so much for what you do, and thank you for joining me here on the podcast today. Thank you, John. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling So as promised, here are two other snowflake stories. Do you remember how Sark first affected your life as I talked about? Do you remember being diagnosed? Do you, have you thought about the changes in your life since sarcoidosis showed up? Um, it's certainly uh, the type of thing where it, it can happen so slowly you don't realize that your life is completely different. Or in my case, I woke up from surgery one day and uh, I've never really been the same since. I'm going to start with uh, Sark fighter Della Washington, who's uh, sent her snowflake story into FSR, and it's posted on the FSR website, along with many other snowflake stories. And, and I'll also uh, have a link to where you, can, uh, where you can submit your snowflake stories if you'd like to see yours posted. But Della writes, Hi, my name is Della. I was diagnosed with neurosark in 1999 when I went blind in my left eye. The doctors had confused the diagnosis with multiple sclerosis because it was affecting my eyesight. And within weeks of being diagnosed, I lost the use of my left side limbs because sarcoidosis had spread throughout my brain. The doctors gave me four months to live, but I told them that they had four months to figure it out and to treat my diagnosis. I've been in and out of remission ever since with new symptoms coming and going during this time. And she writes, in 1999, there was no advocacy network or groups that you could join 
for support for sarcoidosis. I searched the internet for years to find some information that would help me learn about SARC, and I finally found FSR in early 2000, and I've been relying on them for information and support. I am grateful to have support from friends, family, and a great assortment of medical professionals to help me navigate my disease. And obviously, Della has gone way past, <laughs> congratulations, the four months that they gave her back in 1999. Thank you for sharing your story, Della. And now I want to share a story of Janice Bermudis. Uh, my sarcoidosis story is unique because, as in most cases, the process of elimination is needed in order to get to a sarcoid diagnosis. During this time, I did not have health insurance. I was in between jobs, and it all started with stopping and starting different antibiotics to treat a bacterial infection, which then turned, uh, which turned into, which turned temporary and then consistent headaches. When the bacterial infection had passed, a headache began that it grew progressively worse over time. I believe it took months to the point of unbearable pain that I could not help but moan and cry out loud for doctors to run a multitude of tests. At its worst, I could also not stand to be around any light whatsoever, and I recall being moved in and out of hospital rooms in a wheelchair with a blanket over my head to cover my eyes from the lights in the hospital. The rest is a blur because I almost died when they tried to convert me from intravenous steroids to steroids in pill form. They discovered granulomas on my saliva glands, and this discovery, coupled with negative to normal blood, MS, and cancer test results, was how I got my ocular and glandular sarcoidosis diagnosis. And she writes, since 2010, I have found community through FSR, their events, and by meeting others living with this disease, it's what inspired me to become a patient advocate and to share my story and to encourage others to get involved. So there's just two more snowflake stories, and there are so many of them out there, and yours is a snowflake story. Every time I talk with somebody here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, I hear a new story, a new way that sarcoidosis showed up and a new way that it changed somebody's life for the worse. And then, uh, fortunately, you do hear about people finding FSR and finding that there, that there is hope and that there are other people going through this and that there are more treatments coming down the pipeline and uh, it's it's just i think amazing to to hear the stories and to hear how it really helps people to know that they're a part of a community and that there is help coming for, F, for from FSR from for sarcoidosis and uh, I, I, I just am so glad that I can can play a small role in all of this. All right, so thank you for listening. A couple of reminders. Uh, FSR is asking eligible patients to complete a survey for black Americans 
to uh, help inform recommendations for improving care and clinical trials. Uh, this uh, is only open for a very short amount of time until the end of November in 2022, but there is a survey and they would like black Americans to take it, part of the Act Now campaign, and it's visit uh, stopsarcoidosis.org slash act now. And I will put that link also in the show notes. The official Sarkfinder song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sarkfinder. The lyrics, if you listen to them, are haunting in episode 12. Remember, the Sarkfinder podcast comes out every other Monday. As I'm speaking right now, my trusty rescue boxer, Dougal, is sleeping in the chair in my office. Dougal makes my life so much better. Don't forget to follow the Sarkfinder podcast on social media and please share it if you would. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. If you have a Peloton, you can join me, uh, find me as Sark Fighter. My cycling blog is called Carlin the Cyclist because that's what keeps me sane is riding my bike. And I do have a section on there called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. Lots of people have pinged me after finding those blogs. The backstory to the founding for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. If you're new here and you don't even know what sarcoidosis is, maybe you're newly diagnosed, go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. My story, Snowflake and All, uh, way beyond that is episode one. Send me an email if you're interested in being on the Sark Fighter podcast or if you want to comment. It's carlinagency at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes. And I just so much appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. It helps me reach more people and grow the show and the effectiveness of the show if you share it on your social media or really just tell one other person, hey, did you listen to the Sark Fighter podcast? Did you hear the one with Mary McGowan and Louise Perkins, the people who are leading the fight against sarcoidosis? Just tell one person or grab that link and, and share it in the show notes. I really appreciate it. And until next time, Keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade away. Dead men walking, trying to keep up the pace. Dead men walking.